0: Welcome to the Dry Eye Coach podcast series, Click on Dry Eye, your insider pass to the most exclusive dry topic. The series will raise awareness about the current and future state of ocular surface disease. The podcast will focus on a variety of topics. Dr. Perum is gonna share with us her pearls and insights of the role of the trigeminal nerve in ocular surface dryness treatment. Welcome, Laura. Thank, Thank you. you so much. This is awesome to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you there, Laura. I know. I thank you so much for your time. We know you're a busy lady, so we appreciate you stopping on by. Anything for you guys. (laughs) Now, you recently started your own specialty dry eye practice. Can you tell us more about the practice and how you got it started?
1: Sure. So we um,
0: opened June 5th,
1: 2020 in the pandemic in 200 square feet (laughs) with a single mission, and that (laughs) is to address dry eye disease our way. And it's a combination of things I've learned across two and a half decades as a molecular immunobiologist, uh, clinical medicine, innovations, and clinical research. So it's the the amalgam of all these different chapters in my life. And we have so much fun providing you know, world-class dry eye care to our dry eye patients, giving them access to clinical research studies for uh and you know, early access to innovations. So it's it's been um, a lot of work. I won't lie, but a labor of love as well.
2: So tell us about your team. Is it just you? Do you have do you have several team members?
1: Do you have a couple of ODs or fellows. I understand. Yes, yeah, so the team is very interesting. So we have. I started off with a virtual office manager. Somebody uh, worked with. Uh, she was a technician when I worked at Redmond Eye Clinic years ago, and. Just loved her just and complete um, uh, incredible patient advocate, um, heart of gold, mouth of a sailor. <laughs> I love her. She's amazing. <laughs> and then Raquel is my licensed master esthetician, and she also helps with the clinical research studies. They both do. They're both involved in clinical research studies and it's so much fun because it becomes a career growth path for them as well. And then we have two fellows, optometric fellows, and I love it so much because it's, it's a way to, um, elevate the next generation. Right. And so these are two women who are going after their FAAO. And so I'm helping them with research projects, abstracts, presentations, publications, all that kind of stuff. Cause I got to tell you, like when I go to the AAOPT meeting, I love it. When we come out of that first morning session and the carpets are littered with all the brand new FAAOs, it's just like, it's just, I just float down the hallway. I'm so giddy happy seeing the way these people are having their accomplishment recognized in such a public and celebratory way. I just love it. So I cannot wait to see their two names on the the carpet, (laughs) on the red carpet. (laughs) Well, we're
2: excited too i mean we're both part of the uh, interior segment section for the academy and uh yeah anything they need help with or how we can be of service please have them reach out to us uh, anytime
1: uh for any of that thank you that's awesome oh, i super appreciate it takes so, takes a village right we're all in this together
2: definitely so with with your practice it's a specialty practice. So do you take insurance as a cash base? Because sometimes when we hear about these practices, some practices, not just in eye care, but in other specialties, that it may be a cash-based elective type thing.
1: So how was it at your practice? Right. So we went completely direct care. And there was a very mindful reason for that. I tried over the years to mold myself into the 6 to 10 minute encounter and you just can't unravel the gnarled ball of yarn of dry eye disease in 6 to 10 minutes. These patients deserve more. They they have questions, they have you know anxiety, they have depression, they need to understand, they need to know you support them. They need to know that there's a lot we still don't know, but we're going to do our best and we don't give up easily. That takes time. So we give our patients the gift of time. Now that does create potential access issues. And that's another supporting reason for the clinical research pillar is so that we can help create equity and parity by access to those early um, early treatments in the form of clinical research. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, you know, be involved with uh, research studies in the past, you get some patients, they love to do research. Like, when's the next study? <laughs> like, wait, you gotta wash out of this one before we can do the next one, but uh, either way. So. So, you know, you mentioned your background. So how's your, your passion for immunology and dry eye? How have they complemented each other?
1: Well, I think they are born from the same source. And that's, I'm definitely a clinician scientist. I'm a nerd at heart. I love understanding how things work. Um, and that, that drive of understanding why things work on a cellular level, on a mechanistic level, on a cytokine level, That insatiable curiosity that was planted in my brain before medical school has never gone away. I still want to know how things work and how they integrate. And if you think about the awesome things in our toolkit, we have a lot of interfacing with some of that crazy, elegant, complex immunopathophysiology we call dry eye disease.
0: When you know why something or how something should work, you can figure out why it doesn't and where it is specifically targeted. That's what I love so much about your passion for immunology and dry eye and um, just love having you here. I also want to hear about um, what you're currently doing with neurostimulation. Like, where do you feel that that's fitting in right now?
1: Oh, I love that topic of neural stimulation. So we had the good fortune of being a phase three FDA study site for I-tier, Olympic Ophthalmics. They're a suburb here in Seattle, Call, Washington. And we got to be a study site for that multi-centered study. And it was awesome, like to have the luxury of time to really closely observe what's happening with your dry disease patient, with respect to an intervention, that's powerful. And that has enhanced my understanding of the entire lacrimal functional unit, the entire ocular surface disease milieu in, in such an enriching way. We published on it in uh, November of 2020, 2021. I'll get the reference for you. Our data and uh, neural stimulation is a real thing. Like you can see the tear meniscus height going under neural stimulation. You can see mibum coming out of the terminal ductules during neural stimulation under high magnification video slit lamp. It's incredible, and we also know that you get degranulation or mucin release from goblet cells under neural stimulation. So this concept that the the key players in a healthy precorneal tear film, mibum, mucin, and aqueous are under the neurobiological control of the central nervous system, is new, relatively speaking, an understanding of uh, dry eye disease, but it's also very real and very exciting as well. There's um, there's other neural stimulation modalities as, as we've, uh, good news, we've got Terabaya now, vareniclin. that is a really interesting intervention as well. There's um, uh, I, I love doing test doses in the chair. Like obviously you can't reuse the bottle. You got to have a fresh one for every fresh patient, but because <laughs> it goes up your nose, it's a nose spring. <laughs> it's, it's amazing to me to watch the patients do it. And you can see a little tear meniscus going up. They're like, Oh, wow, that really works. So it's very, very fun to have these different neural stimulation modalities. And I use neural stimulation, not only as a therapeutic, but I'll even use it as a diagnostic to see if the electrical wiring, if you will, is even intact, or is the system completely burned out? So I'll use it diagnostically, therapeutically. I think there's a, a short-term, medium-term, and long-term benefit of neural stimulation. It's not just shimmers. There's much more going on with neural stimulation.
2: So you just mentioned you use it diagnostically. Can you, can you speak to that to make it clear for everybody exactly how you're using that? Is it like a dose in office? Is it for a week or or,
1: can you tell us more? Yeah. So in the lane, if I have a patient that's, you know, got severe dry eye and I need to find out if the system's even intact, then I will use neural stimulation. And if the tumor scores don't budge at all, I know that the system's pretty broken, right? Mm -hmm. And that's uh, once you get that complete neural short circuiting. Or end organ failure, i.e., the lacrimal gland. Um, mm. That's that's prognostically important uh, for for the patient to understand. You really got to think big about your modalities. You know, you're definitely looking at scleral lenses, <clears throat> other modalities such as this. But it's um, it's also very telling. So if you have a patient that has a pretty normal osmolarity and a high MMP nine load and a bunch of staining. You got to ask the question: When's the last time you used your tears? Right? Oh, an hour before I got here. Ah, gotcha. Right. So I find that all these things are very, very helpful, and then, um, yeah, so it's, it's another, it's another arrow in the quiver, and I find it, um, I find it to be really helpful in a couple of other clinical situations. Um, if there's a history of migraine headache disorder, if there's a history of depression, these are also neural based problems and dry eye and migraine headaches share some, some pathology in the trigeminal nerve. Well, with neural stimulation, you're able to bypass the corneal nerves that might be, you know, smoked out from chronic hyperosmolarity and create that, that, uh, that neural flow through the brainstem and, uh, the command fibers, if you will, Hey, lacrimal gland, pick up the place, getting a little salty in here. Um, my bone looks like, come on, there's wind out there. I need you to protect all this. And of course, the mucin cells as well. Um, I find that the migraine sufferers, the depressed patients, really kind of need the neural stimulation. Um, and it becomes a, a particularly beneficial adjunct for them. Yours truly suffers from ADHD. I didn't used to, it's a gift of menopause.
0: yay the gift that keeps
1: on giving oh yeah yeah there's lots lots of that (laughs) but i it actually helps me focus just a little bit as well it improves my focus i wonder if this is what a smoker feels like after they smoke a cigarette i don't know i'm not sure but i i I feel calmer and i'm definitely more focused and the entire office appreciates that because when i'm around it's like hurting a cat like (laughs) oh (laughs) now
0: So when you're doing your, this kind of like diagnostic check, are you using more of the mechanical or the pharmacological stimulation or does it matter, just whatever you can grab first?
1: Well, it does matter. It's, mm-hmm. it's D all the above. What do I have handy? What's ready to rock? And is there going to be barriers to acquisition for the patient, i.e. Uh-huh. coverage issues, right? So that enters into my calculus as well. If I'm you know, looking at a patient who I'm pretty darn sure their insurance isn't going to cover it yet, then I'll reach for the mechanical. Um, some patients prefer the mechanical. The, the Some patients prefer the nasal and it's just wonderful to have another option. Um, the very keen observer patient will tell you that their vision is better after neural stimulation. And so this can be something that we can uh, potentially try on our 2020 unhappy post-cataract patients. There's a, a, a term Gosh, it was just just recently pinged by Tel Raviv and Daryl White. It's like the pro, oh, what, what do they call it? There's an acronym for it, but basically it's dysphoria um, after cataract surgery, like there's some kind of like discontent, malcontent with your visual performance after cataract surgery. And I think this is a great thing for that, including pupil modulation, but that's probably another podcast episode. Yeah.
2: <laughs> probably. I'm gonna bring you back probably. For that. Don't worry. Hey, you, you mentioned. <laughs> You mentioned for the diagnostic increased Shermer's and uh, you also mentioned the, the other layers of the tears. And I think one of the things is we only see part of the data. I mean, one of the things I reference in a lot of my lectures is that paper uh, that your poster you presented at ASCRS, we were able to show the improvement within the mybomian gland secretion hmm. and, and other factors as well. Yeah. So, you know, how do, so how do we know we have your data, we have more studies coming out Right. Um, but, but it's it's a
1: huge topic here. Right. So again, I love understanding how things work. If you go to James Jester's work from about five, six years ago, published in the Ocule Surface Journal, he's a brilliant PhD researcher at UC Irvine. He was able to demonstrate that the meibomian glands are wrapped with sympathetic and parasympathetic fibers. Um, it, and on the the diagrams reminded me of a of a tree wrap on a Christmas tree of the lights, right? It's just like, it's all over, it's all over the tree. There's lights everywhere in there. And so when you do neural stimulation, you're actually getting some of that as well. And that sympathetic, parasympathetic tone helps influence the meibomian gland stem cell activity. So I think that explains why we saw this really impressive improvement in meibom secretion scores over the course of the mechanical neural stimulation study.
0: How many times a day are you recommending that your patients do neurostimulation? I'm,
1: I'll answer that in just a second. I forgot to tell you one more thing. Oh. When, we, when we saw the mybom actually coming out during neural stimulation, um, there's a, a, a little tiny muscle called the muscle of Reolan, which um, surrounds the mypomian glands and that probably gets activated and squeezed just a little bit as well. Maybe that so it's sort of like giving a woman Pitocin during childbirth. It just like forces that stuff out of there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah how many times a day? Um, so it depends on the severity of the disease and what I'm treating. So if it's a neurotrophic, like a stage one neurotrophic keratitis, I'll do it more like four times a day, trying to stimulate those corneal nerves to send that, you know, substance P epithelium, everything's fine. It's groovy, don't worry. Like putting that happy music out there on that corneal surface. Um, So more like four times a day, very severe disease, more like four times a day. Um, And then usually we can taper back at the end of 30 days to more of a twice a day maintenance. And then duration completely depends on the clinical picture as well. Some patients, their basal tear production improves to the point where they kind of don't need it, so they stop using it. Um, but when they start, when that starts to wane, maybe because they're not being diligent with their immunomodulator therapy, cyclosporin, leflunomide, you know, pulse whatever this is, uh, their omegas, fatty acids, all those things. Um, when that baseline tear meniscus height starts to wane just a little bit, then they go back to the uh, external neural stimulation device and they get that same robust Shermer's uh, tear production. What was so interesting is um, during the study, there's a, d- from the mechanical extranasal stimulation, I tear, Olympic ophthalmics, is there was a robust improvement in stimulated tear on day one. And the amount of tear release at two weeks and four weeks wasn't quite as robust. And the patient misinterpreted that is it's no longer working. But what actually happens is your basal tear secretion increases, which explains why the tear breakup time was so much better, why the corneal keratopathy improved. It's um, that, that sensation is not where the only magic is. There's so much more going on with neural stimulation.
2: Yeah, it's such an exciting topic right now. <laughs> and you know, and, and to be clear, it's been around for a while. I mean, we had true tear and yes. true tear work. <laughs> I, mean, I still have mine. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean we have I, I hoard I hoard the activators. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: I mean we have patients that say, hey, this is this thing has truly changed my life. Yeah. And we want to be clear that it does work. It was the business model is essentially why <laughs> true care yeah. isn't available.
1: Do you have any comments on that? I think it made me sad that it wasn't sustainable because it is a great technology and the more tools we have, the better. Because you know, let's be real, not every patient is going to accept every type of intervention. Um, So it's nice to have options, access, all those sorts of things. I think we're learning as we go along what the market will bear, what patients will bear. And I think a lot of it has to do with our colleagues understanding and how they present and explain it to the patient how they show the value of what they are recommending and prescribing.
2: So tell me about sneezing. What are you telling the patients?
1: I tell them it's it's normal. It gets better in a few days.
0: I do as well. Yep. That's the biggest hurdle I find with the patients that I'm trying to prescribe to is that they just don't like the sneezing the first couple of days and they want to quit. I'm like, nope, keep going through it. Keep going. Keep
1: going. Give give it the full seven day try. Let's go. Right. I'm a
0: non-sneezer, so I don't have that. experience. Oh, you don't sneeze? You're lucky. Like, yeah, I
1: sneeze like crazy the first couple mm-hmm. days. Woo! that was I'm impressive. One of the,
0: I'm one of the weird ones that doesn't.
1: <laughs> nice. I, I kind of like the sensation. Honestly, I like that black pepper tingle. Like, because I like mm-hmm. to cook soup, and like you put too much pepper in there, and you go over too soon, and it like, goes up your nose. <laughs> and you're like, whoa, yeah, that's pepper. Thanks so for like, cooking.
0: <laughs> I like wasabi for the same reason. <laughs> I love
1: wasabi for that same reason. I'm like, oh, those tears. That feels so good.
2: <laughs> you know, one of the questions we often get is, you know, where do you use something like tirvaya? If we're going to go back to the for the the drug itself, you know, are you using it in drug naive patients? Is this
1: chronic, or maybe what's the
2: what's the one thing that you're noticing the most whenever you're
1: using the uh, tirvaya? I think the thing I'm noticing the most is the improvement in the basal tear secretion um, over continued use. That's the thing I'm noticing the most. There seems to be, I also see improvements in staining over the course of time. Um, there's uh, yeah, so I, I think we're all learning together in the post-market experience, but I had a little bit of an early start because of our involvement with the mechanical extranasal. And I think they work pretty similarly, actually. It's the same pathway we're tapping into. Yeah, Tracy,
2: what are you noticing?
1: For me, I'm noticing them
2: I'm using less tears. Right, their eyes are reds. Using artificial tears as often.
0: The contact lens patients are really big fans because there's nothing else that they can, especially with the sclerals. When you're trying to get the sclerals to keep wetting effectively, they're they're probably the biggest fans. I love that.
1: That's that's a really smart use of it in a contact lens patient. You betcha.
0: Okay. Do you have any one take-home pearl for our listeners when it comes to ocular surface disease? I know it's hard to get you to boil down one. Mm -hmm that because you're just a fount of knowledge one take-home pearl for our listeners
1: one take-home pearl is stay curious keep learning because this is a rapidly expanding field it's thrilling it's exciting don't let it overwhelm you just stay curious with it stay with it keep studying keep learning keep coming to the meetings keep listening to awesome podcasts like this but just lean in don't be afraid of it the future looks bright
0: Thank you. Any other questions from you, Waltz?
2: No. Hey, we just appreciate you being here there, Laura. Thank you so much Thanks for so. your time and expertise in sharing with our listeners the role of the trigeminal nerve and ocular surface disease treatment and diagnosis as well. You are welcome. It's always a pleasure. Can't wait to see you both in person.